To the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. That's right, you heard the man. We are indeed back here with another edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast. And I've got an interesting show for you coming up. My guest today is a journalist based out of Germany. He was formerly the editor of the German daily Frankfurter Allgemeine. He is the recent author of a book, the title of which, translated to English, is Bought Journalism, How Politicians, Intelligence, and High Finance Control Germany's Mass Media. Mr. Udo Ulfkot, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Yes, hello. Uh, Mr. Ulfkot, thank you so much for joining me here today, uh, particularly for accommodating the time difference. I know you're about 10 hours ahead of me on uh, early in the morning for you, but um, you know you certainly have a fascinating story to share with our listeners today. But before we get into that, I really want to get a little bit of insight into your history. So could you first tell us how you first became involved in journalism and what particularly moved you to become a journalist in the first place? Well, I come from a very poor family. And uh, I studied uh, law, politics, and uh, Arabic languages. And uh, I was approached at university by German intelligence agencies. And I wanted to be a lawyer later in my life. I had studied that. But uh, they approached me and asked me working as a journalist. And uh, uh, because, and they said I could make a hell of a lot of money uh, and could travel to far countries. And uh, that was uh, because I come from a very, very poor family uh, that was very interesting financially for me. I thought, uh, okay, I'll be a journalist for some years, and later I'll be a lawyer. Uh, but then this took me uh, about 20 years. Uh, I, I've been a war correspondent for 11 years, and I worked in Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, in many countries, and uh, I worked closely together with the German and U.S. intelligence services over there. And Mr. Ulfkot, you currently run a magazine entitled Whistleblower, and you are a whistleblower, but you are a very unique type of whistleblower in that, you know, currently you're certainly blowing the whistle on yourself, essentially, because, you know, in your book, Bought Journalists, as the English translation, you claim that during your time with Frankfurter Allgemeine, and it sounds like even before that, it sounds like you were recruited to really essentially be a journalist, you began to essentially work with the CIA, and they helped you to push pro-American propaganda throughout the media so is that how that first contact happened to you when you were still in school or you know what when was the first time you were i guess directly approached by the cia okay the first time being approached with the german intelligence was at university the first time being approached by the u.s intelligence agencies that was when i already worked for the frankfurt Allgemeine. that was uh, later at the beginning of the 90s and uh, I, I have been bribed by many billionaires writing stories like, just to give examples, uh, I've been uh, invited as a journalist of the Frankfurter Allgemeine by the billionaire Sultan Qaboos, who is uh, the leader, uh, the dictator of the Sultanate of Oman. And uh, he paid me five stars uh, journeys and, uh, well, whatever I want. He, he paid my, uh, my diving teacher. I got a rescue diver certificate and so on. And the U.S. later I w invited me, and, and the CIA even paid my diving equipment. Uh, 
I became, for example, just to tell you how much I got, that was not really financially. When they invited me, for example, six weeks for the United States, suddenly I will never forget that. That was in July 1993. It was the governor of Oklahoma. I think his name was uh, David Walters in that time. He made me an honorary citizen of the state of Oklahoma, and they wanted me to write pro-American. That was the reason I suddenly was made honorary citizen of the U.S. state of Oklahoma. I had never asked on, the, on that. So uh, that was quite interesting, the way I was approached being invited for six years to the U.S. And I could ask whatever wish I had, and they would fulfill it. That was an experience what I've never, ever in my life have had again. And uh, I, when I look back to my life, I would say uh, I, I'm really ashamed of what I've done, not only for the U.S., uh, also for, uh, for German intelligence agencies. One should not be that close as a journalist uh, to uh, intelligence agencies because uh, when I've been in countries like Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, or in many African countries uh, as a war correspondent, I've always been asked not only to raise certain questions when I had the chance to interview the foreign ministers or other high-rank officials in that country. I, I was always asked, for example, to bring some soil probes or whatever they just wanted. But it, I, I think now I've done what James Foley did. He he was uh, officially, I mean, this unhappy guy whose head was taken uh, some weeks ago uh, by the radical Islamic fighters. He officially was a journalist too, but uh, I think he was an NOC like me, non-official cover. Non-official cover means that you work closely with the intelligence agencies, but uh, when when they get you on the other side, they, they will ev never ever claim that you were uh, closely cooperated with them. Uh, and uh, James Foulet, he, he was already a month before um, they had detected him in Libya, and he was in prison in Libya as a U.S. spy, and uh, they released him, and he did it again. Uh, so uh, it was quite dangerous for me what I have done, and uh, I would never, ever do that again. And uh, I, had, I had one incredible experience that was in July 1988 and that time I have not I had not worked closely uh, together with US services but I had close contact to German services in July 1988 I was sent to Iraq and in, in those times we had the first Iraq Iranian war that lasted from 1980 to the end of July 88 and when I was uh, sent to Baghdad, the Iraqis uh, um, have taken me to a bus and later to uh, a helicopter. They, they drove me to the front lines in the south of the country and uh, close to the Iranian city of Zubaydat, I had an incredible experience. Uh, there was U.S. intelligence guys. I, I didn't know that at that time. They delivered the Iraqis with satellite maps for them to know where exactly are the Iranians on the other side of the border. And there was German intelligence guys whom I knew, and uh, the Germans in, in those times had delivered poison gas, mustard gas, 
to the Iraqis. Officially, it was delivered as pesticides. So when I was there, I had no idea what was going on, and they gassed the Iranians with the German poison gas, mustard gas. They poisoned the Iranians, and I have hundreds and hundreds of photos of that, and I myself uh, was heavily injured by the mustard gas, and still I am. So uh, the, the incredible experience was, on the one hand, seeing the masses of dead Iranian soldiers lying there, having been gassed with German gas under U.S. supervision uh, decades after the end of the Second World War. So uh, I expected coming back to Baghdad and then to Frankfurt and being heavily injured that this would be a story worldwide because in March 88, the Iraqis already had gassed the Kurdish people at the city of Halabja. This is worldwide well known what happened in March 88. But the action in July 88, suddenly, uh, suddenly I was told I'm not allowed to report on that. This is a kind of a, a secret of state. So I had a very, very small picture in the Frankfurter Allgemeine and just uh, some words that there are, have been dead Iranian soldiers and the whole background of the story, I was not allowed to write that. And it, it was an incredible experience for me because I asked myself, uh, we, we, we Germans, we promised after uh, what we did with uh, millions of Jews, we promised the world, we said we will never ever again ourselves guess or help to guess people. And what I had seen was evidence uh, we, we did it again. And I was not allowed to write about it, to speak about it. And uh, then I tried to give the photographs to a, a big German magazine with international recommendation. And uh, uh, I was not allowed. I, I would have lost my job if I did so. So I kept them for 25 years and uh, I have published the pictures now and just... Uh, in uh, four hours ahead from our interview now, today I'll be live uh, via Skype on the Iranian television and explain uh, what uh, we have done in the past and explain the Iranian people why um, uh, never ever somebody has spoken about that because they still have many people who survived that attack and are suffering and uh, nobody ever in the West has spoken about that. So this is uh, how the things uh, used to happen and how a journalist like me was uh, muppet on a string for intelligence agencies. Well, you know, there are so many fascinating aspects to your story, Mr. Ulfkot, and I, I really want to get into uh, a few of the details of the things you just spoke about. But first, I want to get a little more into kind of the beginning of how this started for you. So, I mean, when you're first approached by an intelligence agent, say, in Germany, or later on when you worked for Frankfurter Allgemeine, you know, is it directly, I guess, kind of stated to you, we are going to tell you this, you're going to publish this, you didn't sound like you're directly given money, but how does it actually play out? Are, does it just kind of work where yeah. they become your friends over time, or how does that how does that all play out? The first thing, the basic thing, is uh, that never ever me or my friends who who work together with intelligence agencies have heard or uh, or uh, seen that somebody is coming to you and saying, "Well, hello, I work for the CIA. Would you like to cooperate with me?" No, n never ever. So uh, the thing, uh, how it happens is that 
somebody will approach you and you will not recognize it. Never, ever. So um, the, the first time, because you talk about the U.S., let's just talk about the U.S., I was invited through the German Marshall Fund of the United States. That's a transatlantic organization. And uh, it, now I know that there is close relations between the German Marshall Fund of the United States and the CIA. And there is uh, many other transatlantic organizations in Germany, like the Atlantic Bridge, the Aspen Institute. Well, there is dozens of transatlantic organizations in Germany with very, very good relations to the CIA. Just to give you an example of what I mean, perhaps you know the name of James Woolsey. Oh, absolutely. The former CIA director, yeah. Okay, and his wife, Susan Woolsey, she is uh, one of the leading figures in the German Marshall Fund. So the, the guys uh, who, whom I know or knew would never, ever be directly in these organizations, but they have close, very close uh, contacts, let, let's say. So I was invited to the U.S. through the German Marshall Fund, and as I already told you, I could see, I could do, I could visit whomever and whatever I wanted. So when I was in Washington, the resident of the German Bundesnachrichtendienst, that is our German Foreign Intelligence Service, he invited me. His name was Mr. Rosenlehner. He invited me to a dinner, and while we've been on a dinner, there was somebody joining us. That was another German intelligence guy. And they, on that day, they asked me for how many days I would stay in Washington. And they brought me the next days in touch with guys. I saw they are just, well, let's say their friends, but they were very special friends. <laughs> uh, those, those, uh, they have never, ever said, well, we are from this or that U.S. intelligence agency. No. They said, well, we have an office in Langley. We live around Virginia. And uh, we, we have some friends uh, that might be of interest for you. So I will never forget that I met the son of the Shah of Persia, uh, the son of the Shah of Iran, uh, Reza Pahlavi, the second. That was the first guy where they said... Um, Perhaps you, you, can, you can run a story about uh, Reza Pahlavi II, uh, who is a special friend of us, uh, because uh, when the mullahs in Iran are finished, this will be the next king in, uh, in Persia, in Iran. So um, it was, they never ever have said, we are from this or that U.S. intelligence agency. They made a contact with me and very softly presented me people where they, they had an interest that I uh, would be writing about. And this started to be a special friendship with several people, and uh, I met their friends again when I was later in the Middle East. So I will never forget uh, when I've been, for example, in Iraq or have been to battlefronts in African or uh, Middle Eastern countries, that uh, the, the German embassy guys, like the military attaches, who have uh, almost been from the intelligence scene uh, in Germany, that they always contacted their American counterparts. And uh, when I've been there, I met them almost together. And uh, they asked me always to, to make reports for them 
before I report for the Frankfurter Allgemeine. That is the uh, say, let's take countries like the Congo. You, you can't, if, if there is civil war in the Congo, you can't just travel through the Congo as a reporter without a danger for your life. So as a as an intelligence guy, you would be killed within within hours. So uh, there are situations. Now you have very good satellites, and this might be much different today. But uh, when I was active in the 90s, uh, they asked for reports, what I've seen, uh, or uh, when I made interviews, they gave me questions. And uh, I, I've done that for many, many years, and I've mainly... I, I have reported what they wanted and not always uh, what, what I wanted to report because I have always, after dangerous situations, first of all been to the embassies, to the, to the German embassy or to the U.S. embassy and talked to those guys. And they all, there was many, many times when they said, oh, please don't report this, don't report that, this is not good for our country. Uh, please do us a favor and, and write more in this or that direction. And, uh, yeah, well, I've done that. And a journalist shouldn't do that. So and just to let me add one thing. Some weeks ago, I've seen that the U.S. magazine, The Intercept, they ran a big story that uh, they had more than 340 emails from 2013 were famous, recommended U.S., Reporters from the big U.S. newspapers had um, cleared their stories before printing with U.S. intelligence. And I, I was not astonished because that was exactly what I've done, too, on the German side. That's absolutely fascinating. So it sounds like this was, you know, a very subtle thing that kind of happened over time. You know, you become friends with these people. They grant you access to certain things. And in return, you, you know, you are almost naturally just going to help them out as well. And, you know, so is there any point? Obviously, there was a point because you ended up writing this book exposing all of this and, you know, basically admitting to everything you've done over the last 30 or 40 years or so of your career. So what was it that really kind of, I guess, put you to stop in the tracks and say, well, maybe this isn't really what I should do. What was it that made you decide that this isn't really journalism? This isn't really what a journalist is. Well, uh, I've been heavily injured several times uh, while I was a war correspondent. And one of the things that stopped me was just uh, because of the injuries I had, I couldn't travel that much to uh, places to like war zones or traveling through Afghanistan. And this naturally will stop you because nobody's interested in you when you are an ordinary citizen or ordinary reporter uh, inside of Germany. That was the one thing. But when I really absolutely broke all lines and stopped all those things was when I, uh, some years ago, more than eight years ago, a German governor asked me to his office and behind closed doors, he wanted me to spy on the wife of his political rival. Um, there was elections, upcoming elections, and he needed munition and bad stories about the wife of political candidate of an opposition party and he offered me 5,000 euros cash that would would have been declared money for a lecture that I never ever had given 
He offered me 5,000 euros cash in advance and much more money later if I would be successful. And uh, while I was sitting there in his office, I thought I, w I will never ever have the chance to look into the mirror again. If I do this, why do they approach me? High-ranked politicians, why do they approach me and think that I will, that I'm, I have been sunken so deep that I will spy on politicians and uh, their women and uh, who have told them that I would do things like that. And I, I phoned my lawyer when I left, had left the office and uh, I, I, I told my lawyer what I've just been, been asked to do. And that was the situation when I, inside of my heart, when I said, uh, I want to, to look into the mirror the next morning. I will never ever work again, cooperate with intelligence agencies or with politicians, or uh, I will have my own life. I had later, I had three heart attacks. And uh, now I think the truth has to come out. I, unfortunately, I have no children and uh, nobody, to, of course, I'm I, I married, but uh, I, I don't, uh, how do you say in English? You you have a sense of uh, you want you want to pass this along to other generations. Is that is that kind of where you're going? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I want to clear my life. Uh, um, clear your conscience. There is no more twenty year, twenty years for yeah for, yeah exactly yeah you're right yeah. So what was the point where you started to? It sounds to me now that you have a certain sense of guilt over kind of I guess your cooperation with these intelligence agencies. Mm -hmm. You know, despite the fact that that is essentially what made your entire career as well at the same time. Um, so, you know, I, I guess, and you described the moment where you really had that revelation. How much do you see that you're putting into this book and into promoting this book and these revelations? Do you see that as kind of repenting for sort of everything you've done to cooperate in some things that might have been, you know, truly crimes against humanity, maybe crimes against other people? Is that what motivates you now to, to kind of um, you know, tell your story? Well, the motivation mostly is that there is uh, 40,000 journalists only in Germany, and there will be a next generation of journalists, and uh, they have no idea how they secretly might be approached by intelligence agencies. There is so many honey traps, and because you don't know uh, how to avoid the honey traps, there need to be people who explain what happens. Now, I know what that term means, uh, a honey trap, but I, just, just to clear up for some of our listeners that might not be familiar with that, can you just let people know what exactly a honey trap is, what that term means? Yeah, honey trap means that, yeah, th that there is artificially created something, what you want. Let's say a honey trap would be if, if you go to a hotel room that you have booked and uh, you have a naked woman as a man, a young naked woman lying in your bed. So uh, there, there might be men who would see this as an offer and uh, have sexual relations with that woman. And in that case, you might be filmed and then you are in the trap. Uh, so honey trap means uh, please use your brain before you do something. Honey trap will mean that, for example, if, if you as a journalist are invited to a foreign country, and uh, there will be somebody like the government that pays everything for you. You have a guide, you have a luxury car, you have a driver, you get everything. So that sounds very good for a journalist, but in reality, this means 
that those guides will control to whom you speak, what you do, and what you will write later, because they decide what you will see, where you will go. And this is a, this is a typical honey trap for a journalist. If you accept invitations, if, if you go, for example, if you go to an African country, an African ruler will invite you and will help you. He will say he will help you with some guides and with uh, a transport and so on. In reality, it means he will control what you see, to whom you speak, and uh, what you will write later. So this is honey traps. That's fascinating. And and do, do you think that this is a very common occurrence? Obviously, I know you're not the only one out there, but I mean, how widespread do you think that the uh, intelligence agencies, both of the United States as well as European countries such as Germany, how deeply embedded are agencies within journalism across the globe? Well, there is a clear answer. And this answer is uh, that uh, as an ordinary journalist, who, well, let's say, a local reporter. He usually has nothing to do with intelligence agencies. But if you uh, climb up the ladder in, in the career system of your media company, you will, one day or later, you will be of interest for the intelligence agencies. So what I would say is that 99.9% .9 of the higher rank so-called alpha journalists, I mean the leading journalists of a country, in one or another way have been approached by intelligence agencies because they are those guys who influence the, uh, the masses outside. They influence by what they will write, what the people outside will think. And this is of interest. So to give you a, a clear example, if a country like Russia, China, or the US, if they will prepare for a war. This has nothing to do with the U.S. This is all over the world. If a country is going to war, they need the cooperation of the mass media. They need the hearts and minds of the population. So uh, they cannot publicly advise them, uh, please follow us in writing. So uh, they need very close contact to the uh, leading journalists, and so they do that in advance. Like a country like Germany is asked now more and more to send uh, German soldiers uh, to foreign countries for helping NATO and the U.S. clearing some situations. Uh, so uh, you need the hearts and minds of the German population to, to stand behind that, because if you will have mass demonstrations in Germany against sending German soldiers aside of the U.S. soldiers to foreign countries, you could not do that. So it is absolutely clear that uh, the guys of the mass media, uh, they, they will not report uh, uh, anti-government. or If they report against that, they are... Um, they have no more chance in speaking to the leading politicians and uh, uh, joining the elite, the so-called elite. Uh, this is a closed system, and all the journalists, we all, me in the past too, let's come back to to my person, when, when, when I've joined uh, the German chancellor, the German president, all the ministers, uh, of course I had to write uh, in the Frankfurter Allgemeine what they wanted me to write. If I just one time would not have written what they wanted me to write, I would never, ever have the chance 
to travel together with them to foreign countries, to have interviews, or to be close to them. And uh, this is all one system, the intelligence agencies, the politics, and uh, the mass media, the leading guys of the mass media. It's, it's a closed system. So what has been the response to the fact that you have come out with all this information recently, have um, you know fellow journalists contacted you at all? Have you had any contact from German authorities about what you've been speaking out about, or what what kind of backlash have you received for this book? Uh, well, we have a situation what we never ever had since the end of the Second World War uh, in Germany, and the, the situation is that uh, this book has climbed the bestsellers. Uh, it is uh, an absolute blockbuster in Germany. So you would expect uh, that the mass media would report about the book, but nothing. In, inside of Germany, there is nobody speaking about that book, nobody writing. Uh, you, you, won't find, you won't find just one sentence on this book. Uh, but on the other side, internationally, it is the opposite. There is... In the United Kingdom, there is headlines like blackout in German mass media. I have daily up to 17 interviews with uh, international leading journals and uh, TV stations. Like today, it will be from the U.S. West Coast uh, up to China. I have Chinese reporters. Uh, we have uh, Spanish, Netherlands. We have Iranian we have uh, South African, so it, 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 it's really worldwide interest. But inside of my own country, the journalists are not allowed to report on that book. So uh, this is a sign for not from only for me. It's a sign. Uh, this spreads through the internet very quickly. That we always are told we we have the freedom of mind. We have press freedom. Everybody can write and broadcast what he wants. But you see suddenly inside of Germany that this is not the fact because uh, the mass media, I'm not talking about the Frankfurter Allgemeine, the big, we have many, many TV stations. I give interviews to Iranian journalists, to Russian journalists, to Chinese TV stations, uh, but there's not one out of, I don't know, a hundred or more German TV stations who has ever asked for an interview or presented the book. It's an absolutely funny situation because uh, this gives evidence to what I say in the book. If, if it would be bullshit, sorry for using that word. Oh, that's perfectly be, fine. <laughs> yeah, so if, if it would be bullshit what I had written, so they would sue me or they they would... <laughs> They would just they would just say it's it's bullshit and here is the evidence that it is bullshit. But but looking to the other side, ashamed looking to the other side that gives clear evidence. Well, I, I have trapped them. So uh, yeah, that's that's the situation. I, I my my house has been searched by the police in the past years uh, six times because I was accused of leaking. Secrets of State. I've had that in the past when I, when I finished my job as a journalist uh, six times, having been searched and accused of leaking secrets of state. You say they've accused you. Have they ever? Have they? Have you been formally charged with anything in Germany, or they've just kind of never? No, no, no. 
No, no, no. I, I was always accused of leaking secrets of state, and uh, later uh, uh, I was absolutely cleared because, as a journalist, I was allowed to write what I had written. Did they accuse you more in the media, or in what forum were you accused, or just more you know, directly to yourself, or did you actually have to go to, through a legal proceeding, is what I'm asking? They accused me that I, um, that I have uh, copied and published documents uh, that should have been secret. I really have done that. I have uh, published documents that are clearly marked as secret and for government use only. And this is the same what I've done inside of this book. I have uh, the, the book has published uh, photocopied documents which say uh, this is a secret. And with these documents, I give evidence that the government and especially the mass media is lying to the people and they don't know what to do because six times they have <laughs> they have searched my house and accused me leaking secrets of state and I say yes yes I, I do that but please read the documents again this they just explain how you lie to our population so they cannot kill me uh, because I tell the truth. Mr. Ofkot, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and explaining your whole story to us, and I encourage people to look further into it and you know look into what you're saying and look into your book as well. I- I'm curious if you have maybe maybe a message or maybe something you'd like to say to people that are looking to become journalists, legitimate journalists, and looking to, I guess, um, report the news as it really is and not as dictated to them by maybe other kind of outside forces like the kinds that you've encountered and the kinds that influence you to get into journalism in the first place. So um, do you have any sort of message to, I guess, maybe young people out there who may be really interested in a career in journalism, perhaps how to avoid what you kind of encountered and how to be a real journalist and how to really report the truth? Oh, the, the biggest message is that how poor you might be as a, a young journalist, never ever just look for the money. First, think what you want to have at the end of your life. And if you look back, that it is better for you and for your conscience if you always just have reported the truth. The truth is much more worse than money. Don't make the mistake what people like me have done, uh, being bribed. Uh, just get, go your way, but with the truth in the background. And Mr. Ofkot, um, before I let you go, can you just let us know? I know you're working on, um, you know, hopefully trying to find a English translation, an English publication of your work. But you know, how can people currently find your book? How can people get in touch with you, or you know, get more information about you know your story in general? Well, I'm on Facebook, Udo Ulfkotter. Uh, I have an internet page, ulfkotter.de. You can send me an email anytime, and, and I'm, I'm heavily trying to find uh, a U.S. publisher for this book because we want to translate it uh, into English. Uh, it is not a question of money, by the way. It is just a question to find somebody who is willing, even uh, if he's threatened by U.S. authorities, uh, just to print it and to spread the message. Mr. Ulfkot, thank you again so much for coming on the show today. And, you know, again, I really encourage people to look into your story, look into what you're talking about, and really, you know, give some deep thought to any kind of 
you know, information they see coming from the mass media. Think about where that information may actually be coming from and, you know, maybe maybe look at a little bit deeper into the sources of that information. And, you know, thanks to people like you, we can have an opportunity to maybe see behind the veil, see a little bit of, you know, where a lot of the mass media, a lot of the propaganda that we typically see might actually come from. And, you know, thankfully... For whistleblowers like yourself, we can see that that isn't always coming from necessarily a legitimate place. So I really do thank you for taking the time to speak to me about this and for coming out, um, you know, with your story overall. Thank you very much. We'll be back after a little break. Do you want your kids to meet the champion of the Constitution? What if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to you through the story of Ron Paul's amazing life? What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and non-interventionist foreign policy? What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? The book is Meet Ron Paul. And you can get your copy today at lionsofliberty.com slash Paul. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Meet Ron Paul and keep the liberty movement moving. Hey guys, Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the Morning Roar! That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of the Morning Roar where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LionsOfLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. Chris Rossini's new book, Set Money Free. Set Money Free. What every American needs to know about the Federal Reserve. Set Money Free. With a special foreword by Ron Paul. Set Money Free. It has easy to understand questions and answers. Set Buy Set Money Free on Amazon.com. Set Money Free. Chris Rossini's Set Money Money free. Set money free. Set money free. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, folks, I hope you found my interview with Mr. Udo Ufkot as fascinating as I did. You know, it's no, it's no secret that the U.S. government, using both overt and covert methods, has been influencing the mass media for some time, you know, both at home and abroad. And I was really interested to speak with someone who had experienced this firsthand for over 30 years. And, you know, while Mr. Ufkot's experience was related to the CIA influence over the German media specifically... It has to kind of make us think for a second and pause and say, you know, if they're influencing foreign media that much, 
how much are these guys influencing the domestic media? Now, a lot of you may have seen some of these clips that go around the internet every once in a while. I believe Conan O'Brien's show puts them together, and it'll be a little montage of all these kind of local news stations reading certain headlines, and the headlines will all be word for word, verbatim, exactly the same. And it makes you think, you know, is this all scripted? Is this coming from maybe somewhere else? All this news is filtered in the exact same manner, and, you know, skits like this are pretty funny, and we all have a good laugh. But the reality of it isn't so funny when you think about some of the implications of how our mass media is controlled in so many ways. And, you know, one good point Mr. Olfcott made was regarding how when the government wants to go to war, they need the hearts and minds of the people on their side. And it's no coincidence that the mainstream media does seem to universally get behind any sort of military action that the U.S. government intends to take or does take, as we've seen with the bombing in Syria, the bombing in Iraq that's going on now, you know, to fight those ISIS fellas, John McCain's good friends. Now, Mr. Olfcott also mentioned NOC's non-official cover and how these are basically journalists that don't directly work for the CIA, but they are so closely associated. He almost described it as this friendship you create where you're invited to all these great parties. You can have anything you want. Oh, please write this story about my friend here. Please don't put that in there. You know, it's not as maybe necessarily as a, a direct payoff, but we have every reason to believe that this is a phenomenon that is not isolated to Mr. Olfcott's story. This is something we see all throughout the the media, you know, foreign, domestic, or what have you. But luckily, finally, in the last few years, there is a way that that has been able to change a little bit, and that is with the new media. The internet has brought us the ability to communicate with each other, to go around the sort of mass media cartels that the government has created. So we don't need to just listen to CNN and Fox News anymore. You know, we can talk to each other directly We can create podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. We can create our own websites. There are independent journalists that are just out there doing their own thing. Like our good friend Ben Swan, who we interviewed earlier in the year, who's a great independent journalist who is not beholden to the mass media, who, as far as I know, is not on the CIA payroll. Guys like that are people we should really get behind. So, you know, there is hope, is what I'm saying. But there is good reason to be skeptical whenever we see propaganda from the media. And this story today is really just one example of why whenever we see a headline, whenever we see a big push for anything, it doesn't have to be war. It could be for a flu vaccine or for what have you, anything at all. We need to take a step back, do our own research, maybe look into some other news outlets, and don't just blindly accept what we're told by the mass media. But as I said, this is changing. Social media is changing things. We want you to get involved with the conversation by coming over to our social media. You can find us at Facebook, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. On the Twitter, at Lions of Liberty, over at Google+. There's also a bit of an entrepreneurial opportunity out there for anybody listening today that might be connected to any kind of publishers, be able to translate, because Mr. Olfcott is looking for an English translation of his book. You know, a publishing company that's not afraid to publish it. So if you have any connections like that, or maybe you're someone who's able to translate, hit me up, Mark, M-A-R-C at lionsofliberty.com, and I can connect you guys. You know, this is the kind of thing I want to do. I want to get this information out there to as many people as possible. And one more thing I'm going to ask of you, well, a few more things. If you like this show, if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty, at our website, lionsofliberty.com, what you can do to help out this show is to go over to iTunes. Not the only way you can listen, of course. You can listen on Stitcher Radio. You can hear us on a number of different internet streaming radio stations, such as the Liberty Radio Network, LRN.FM. But go over to iTunes, regardless of whether you listen to us there, and do us a favor. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a rating, hopefully a good one. Give us a review. Again, hopefully a good one, but I'm not going to tell you what to write. 
But if you do enjoy the show, that is one of the biggest ways you can help us get some more clout, get up there, let new people see what we're doing, and you know, get involved in this conversation. Besides that, of course, there is one more thing I'm going to ask of you. The same thing I ask of you every week, and that is to live long and live free.